I'd like to have us look back to the gospel, Luke chapter 7, the opening verses. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of his people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly the sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. We pray, gracious God, may our hearts and our minds be open to your words this morning so that we receive what you are offering us, put into practice what you are teaching us, and that we find life and all hope in what you promise us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. There is a, uh, a dominant theme in the Gospel this morning that I'm not going to be addressing rather I would like to have us look specifically at the man who is the centurion in our story. We know from history that the centurion in the Roman context was in charge of about a hundred men. Might be comparable today to a, a, a sergeant, the highest ranking enlisted man. And in order to raise to the rank of centurion, you had to be hard, you had to be tough, you had to even at times come off somewhat ruthlessly. In Rome's day, a, a legionnaire was very rough, very callous kind of person, or they wouldn't be a soldier. It took hard discipline to keep these guys in line, and that was the role of the centurion. If the men were hard, the centurion had to be that much harder in order to keep them in line. Now this centurion in our text here, Luke chapter 7, is likely that hard, tough, disciplinarian, authoritarian kind of a guy. But he also seems to be a genuinely good guy. The elders of the Jews talk about what he's done for them. And he makes his appeal to Jesus through this Jewish leadership. And that leadership pleads for Jesus to do this miracle for this centurion because he is the picture of this guy is kind of like the ones that we see back from the city streets in Iraq and Afghanistan where the, the GIs are distributing candy or toys to the kids, that gesture of goodwill. Luke wants us to see that this Roman centurion here is the exception to his occupation does not fit the stereotype. But that throws us kind of off balance. We don't expect to see that when we hear or look to the likes of Roman centurions. Luke, through 
through the Holy Spirit is asking us to look at people who we think we understand. People whom we're pretty sure that we have figured out. But to see such people in a new way. It's as if Luke is telling us, forget everything you've ever heard or assumed or known about the likes of centurions. I just want to talk about this one. We know that Luke wrote both the Gospel by his name and the book of Acts. And in his introduction to the Acts, the apostles, he tells Theophilus, the one who's receiving the letter, of the things which Jesus began to do. To me, that suggests that Jesus is not finished doing these things, and certainly he is not. Jesus continues his work through the words and the deeds of his disciples, as reported in Acts throughout the rest of the New Testament. We know that they did the same miracles. They suffered at the hands of the religious leadership. They spoke powerful words, and when they died, the words of Jesus were on their lips. Raising the question, does Jesus' work continue today through his disciples? And isn't that us? Isn't that the church of Jesus Christ, you and I? We also remember that in the book of Acts, Luke gives a, a story of Peter's involvement with another centurion by the name of Cornelius. And the message of that encounter is, is very clear if you're familiar with it. Jesus is breaking down barriers that divide. He's doing away with stereotypes that put up walls things that are really part of the old creation. Because in Jesus Christ, the new has come. In Jesus Christ, we see the world through new eyes and through a new lens. And Luke thought that this was so important that he writes of the account of Peter and the centurion two different times. And when you repeat a story like that in Scripture, it's clearly saying that this is really, really important. We look at Jesus' encounter with the centurion in our text. And when he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. We also stand in awe of finding faith in such an unexpected place. In such an unexpected character. Here we're introduced to a genuinely good centurion. It's kind of like if you walked into your child's preschool or daycare or grandchild's preschool and daycare and found out that their favorite teacher is the saggy pants guy with the tattoos and the dreadlocks. You see, for most of us, that just wouldn't fit. But in Jesus' eyes, in Jesus' eyes, the stereotypes and the assumptions that we tend to bring into our conversations and situations 
Those things are being thrown out the window. They're being done away. The centurion, a man in the title that was synonymous with brutality, with force, this guy becomes Jesus' model of faith for his Jewish disciples. Where do we find our models of faith? What do they look like? Do they all have the same skin color as we do? Do they all dress the same? You see, Jesus is in the business of turning the world upside down. We know that Jesus himself was, was Middle Eastern. He wasn't Western. He wasn't light-skinned like some of our Sunday school hearts might depict him to be. More importantly for us now is the time for us to repent, to repent and confess and break down those barriers that we have perhaps unconsciously raised. Barriers to our fellowship with others. Barriers perhaps even to our church. Jesus, through Luke here, challenged his first century church to overcome that very distinct Jewish-Gentile divide. But this wasn't some new thought. It was already in his mind, for he already knew words of the Old Testament, such as our reading this morning that was just shared from 1 Kings. Solomon's prayer for the ancient temple that God had inspired him to build in his vision a thousand years before Jesus was even born. And remember those words of Solomon as he prayed, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. This vision, such as Solomon prayed about here, this vision is sometimes really difficult for us to catch because of the sin that clouds our minds, the sin that clouds our attitudes and clings so tightly to us as it wants us to hold on to and continue to make new distinctions, new divisions, new barriers. That Jesus Christ has already erased and broken down. And we can't simply say, I'm sorry, and call it good. We must say, Lord, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner, and forgive me. And then we need to show by our words and by our actions we are truly sorry for the many distinctions and the many barriers that we have created to separate us from the rest of God's created in his name people 
us, reminds us of his love for all the people that he created, all the people of all the colors and of all the cultures. But most of all, when we read is God's love for sinners. God's love for sinners. And this is the good news. John 3.16, where we're reminded that he sent his only son to suffer and die for all of our sins. So that we might on that last day together stand before him, clothed in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and hear him say that we get to spend our eternity with him in the Lord's death. So how do we live as repentant and forgiven sinners? We live on our lives in worship and in service to God. Not trying to earn his favor, don't get me wrong, we could never even begin to do that anyhow. But we live on our lives in an earnest response and an attempt to live as new creations. Live as the new creations that Jesus Christ has come to make us be. And how we do that is by the likes of outreach, by the likes of opening our doors, extending invitations, by building bridges out into our neighborhoods, and into our communities. As congregations, we have opportunity after opportunity to live this out. We operate preschools. We hold VBS that enrolls and invites from our neighborhoods, primarily those who don't already know about Jesus Christ and need to. We support programs and ministries that feed the hungry, You've all been a part of that. That house the, the homeless, that clothe the naked, that offer, as I see you've got out here perhaps, community gardens. We as congregations are welcoming. We're accessible. And we're user-friendly. And this list is far from complete. But it does give some idea of how we can reach out, how we can interact with the community. And are there more ways for us to serve in that capacity those who don't know Jesus yet and have physical needs that we can meet? Of course. Of course, that list can go on and on. And we are challenged to develop an ongoing way ministries and programs that will carry the love of Jesus Christ more deeply into our neighborhoods and into our communities. Because this is what it's like to show Jesus' love and care through ministry and service. This is Jesus dwelling in our midst. This is Jesus dwelling among us and through us as the Holy Spirit blows around us flows through breaking down barriers that divide and he's doing it and can do it through each and every one of us. You know that within a generation of Luke's writing, the Jewish-Gentile conflict had largely been resolved 
does for the power of the Holy Spirit is authentic. And this is a truly exciting place for us, the church today, to be. Truly an exciting place filled with opportunities to serve. And I believe that Jesus is calling us. Jesus is calling us to connect this vision of service, this vision of service, <coughs> to our actual life. To our actual life in which Christ is calling each of us to play our parts. And I pray that we listen to that call. As we hear his words, he that has ears to hear. May this peace keep our hearts, our minds, our...